Welcome to Voices in My Head, the official podcast of me, Rick Lee James. I'm a recording artist, a singer, songwriter, an author, a worship leader, and an ordained minister in the Church of the Nazarene. The Voices in My Head podcast is your source for discussions on music, literature, movies, pop culture, theology, and more. Now sit back, relax, and listen to the latest episode of the Voices in My Head podcast. And don't forget to let the voices in your head be heard by following me on Twitter at Rick Lee James and sharing your thoughts about today's show. Welcome back to the Voices in My Head podcast. I am in Mount Vernon, Ohio at Mount Vernon Nazarene University, and I am here with Dr. Jess Middendorf. And, you know, is it Jess or Jesse? Because, uh, well, it depends on who's calling. Okay, yeah. depends yeah. on who's yeah, calling. Spell okay. Jesse. All right. My, my wife is convinced that it's spelled J-E-S-S-E, but it should be pronounced Jess. Okay. So all right. So, so she's the authority. On, for all right. Yeah. So so we'll just call you Dr. Mendor. That takes oh, away the... <laughs> uh, it, uh, <laughs> well, um, it's a real rare treat for me to, to get to, uh, to be here in Mount Vernon, for one thing. Uh, I've been a part of the Pastors and Leaders Conference, uh, otherwise known as PALCON. So if you're not a part of the Church of the Nazarene, um, you should just know that it's a, a, an event that happens every few years. We get together, and it's sort of a, a training time, a refreshing time, and really a time of fellowship for pastors and leaders to come together from the Church of the Nazarene. And uh, Dr. Middendorf, I'm going to read quickly a little bit from his bio so you'll know who he is, but we're mostly going to talk to him to find out more about who he is on today's show. Um, Dr. Middendorf is a general superintendent emeritus in the Church of the Nazarene. In case you're not a Nazarene and you're listening, um, that's the highest position that we hold in the Church of the Nazarene. Um, We have several general superintendents, and I won't get into all of what that means for listeners that don't know, um, but it's a a great honor, and and so uh, it's really a special honor to have you, uh, because we don't get general superintendents that often on this show, so that's that's a pretty (laughs) great thing. Um, He was chosen for the highest elected office in the Church of the Nazarene at the 25th General Assembly in Indianapolis, Indiana in 2001, after serving for 10 years as a senior pastor of First Church of the Nazarene in Kansas City, Missouri. Uh, And I can tell you a lot more about his bio, but one thing that I found very interesting um, is, among other things, you're a pilot. Uh, You you enjoy flying planes. You enjoy playing golf. Uh, You've got a wife, Susan, and you have three children and a mess of grandchildren, from what I understand. Six grandchildren. So uh, lots of of places we could go and, and discuss and talk about. Um, what are you still flying like uh, actively right now? No, I, I had to. You have to pass a physical. Okay. And I've had some sight difficulties with okay. one eye, so uh, right. I'm at least temporarily on hold. Okay, at least so, temporarily yeah. on hold. All right, but I wonder if you could tell. I don't know if you can tell this quickly, but mm-hmm. years ago at a pastor's retreat, you told a story of when your engine went out on the plane, and I I don't oh, know yes. anybody else who has. Yes. I don't know really that many people who pilot a plane, for mm-hmm. one thing, but another who has survived and come through this story. Would you mind, like, briefly telling that story of, of the landing well, that you made? you know, when you make a landing like that, it is forever imprinted in your mind. I would think you know, so. Your memory is always <laughs> going to go back. I was, uh, I was flying alone in a single-engine plane mm-hmm. to, uh, from Dallas, Texas to uh, New Mexico, for a hunt with a friend just to go deer hunting and loved to fly. I was in a plane that I'd flown many times, but it had just gone through its annual inspection. Mm-hmm. 
and this was to be the first trip. And so the night before the trip, knowing it had just been through an annual inspection, mm-hmm. uh, among pilots, you often say that the first flight after an inspection is a test flight. Okay. You're a test pilot. All right. Because you want to be sure everything's done. So I took it out the night before. Mm-hmm. Flew the plane, had no difficulties, but I just felt like it's been a while since I'd done emergency landings mm-hmm. that I would just do several engine out uh, trials. Just, mm-hmm. you know, take it in, pull the throttle completely back, glide it in, and land without power. So, did that, oh, seven or eight times. Mm-hmm. Got it to the place where I was just feeling it. I, it just, it was natural. It was a plane mm-hmm. I loved to fly. And mm-hmm. so, Went well. Next day, uh, flew out, had uh, about a five-hour flight plan. Mm-hmm. Took about five hours on that flight, which is longer than I like. Sure. But I was I knew I could do it. Mm-hmm. Had about six and a half hours of fuel. Mm-hmm. So I mapped it out so that I would know exactly how things yeah. were going. At four hours and eight minutes into the flight, I was over. I just crossed the line of Texas into New Mexico, and it was in the little rugged area. And uh, that sound that is so comforting of a loud engine, suddenly the engine sputtered one time and was as dead as a hammer. Mm. Nothing. I, I tried fuel lines. I tried fuel switches. I tried restarts. Mm-hmm. All of this, uh, I was at about 10,000 feet. I was now flying a glider, a very Uh heavy glider, over an area where there were no airports. Uh I found a road, but the road, though it was straight, was uh, in such a way that the wind that was blowing quite strongly was blowing across the road without power. It was not safe to do that. So I was trying to find some place to land. Were there like telephone poles too and things along there? were. In fact, I found one place where I finally decided I could land here. Mm And uh, it was a driveway uh, about a mile long off of a, the, the, this highway mm-hmm. that went right straight into the wind up mm. to a little house. And I figured, well, I'll just land it there. Mm-hmm. The wind was blowing a little dusty. It was clear sky, but sure. the dust was blowing because the wind was blowing so hard. As I was coming in, I was glad I was going to be able to make it down. I could see I, mm-hmm. it was going to be a safe landing until I realized there was a a, a power pole over here mm. on my right, mm-hmm. and I thought if there's a power pole, there's a line. Yeah. I wonder where the other power pole is. Uh. And then realized it's on the other side of the road. Mm-hmm. It was the power line was across the mm. road. Okay. Well, I thought, well, I'll just go under it. Yeah. It was you know close enough that I couldn't go over it, so I'll go under yeah. it. As I got ready to go under it, I suddenly realized there was a ditch across oh. the field. And it was right under the line. Mm-hmm. Not a ditch, but a, you know, a yeah. cut, which meant if I hit it, I would, e- enough, right. enough that it would, could do some damage. <laughs> sure. And then I could see for the first time a fence running parallel with this driveway. Mm. So here I was. I needed to come under the power line between the power pole and the fence mm-hmm. over the little ditch and get it down. Mm-hmm. It may be the best landing I've ever made. <laughs> And nobody there to watch it. I mean, it just it just glided in because I was feeling all of that, sure. that uh, training I'd done the night yeah. before. Wow. So I was, 
you know, I was tense. Yeah. But I wasn't frightened. Yeah. I was just doing what I needed to do. Sure. And all of it seemed in slow motion. It just kind of worked. And kinda I did this out. and I did that. Amazing. And I got it down. Uh, I got out of the airplane and suddenly realized my knees were not going to hold me up. Oh, I bet. I had to hold on to something because yeah. I was, the adrenaline had been so high. Yeah. But it was a wonderful landing. Yeah. And uh, the little lady who lived in the house had not heard a thing. Been big stockade fence around the yeah. house. She opened up the fence just as I got out of the airplane. <laughs> and I was probably 60 feet from her front door Oh, in this big airplane. I can imagine engine. what she must and have thought. She just literally fell back against the fence <laughs> and said to me, I don't think I know you. <laughs> Are we being invaded? Oh, a yeah, I, in said, I said, no, ma'am, you don't. But I just oh. had to make an emergency landing. Wow. She was the most gracious host I could ever imagine and her husband oh. uh, they were they were elderly and her husband came in a few minutes later wow. and they cared for me as well as I've ever been cared for oh that's wonderful. got it all fixed up and that's wonderful made it out the next day that's great so flew it off the same road the next day well I'm certainly glad that everything worked out with that for sure well it's, it's it's a memory I'm it sure is a memory. it's a great story to share but just to, to live through it I can't imagine that's that's uh, beautiful uh, what a good story, though. I mean, and obviously, I'm glad God wasn't done with you yet. Well, yeah, I'd <laughs> so am I. For so sure. am I. Very yeah. glad. Uh, now, I should tell you, um, uh, my father, Randy James, I was talking with him earlier mm -hmm. today, and we had a memory actually about your parents. Um, that w when I was a kid, um, and he had to remind me of this, and then I remembered it immediately. Mm -hmm. Tonight we were talking, and I, I was telling him, I said, hey, I'm, I'm going to get to talk to Dr. Mendendorf for the podcast later. And he said, oh, yeah, you remember what you called his parents? And I said, no. Um, said, you and your sister uh, called them the pepper people because we went and ate at their house one time, and they had apparently peppered, like, a mm -hmm. lot of the food that they ate, <laughs> and we weren't used to that. And so we had, the, like, a really good time, but every time we ate with them from then on, we kept uh, referring them as the pepper people. That's, like, that how my, my parents knew, that, uh, like, to tell us where we were going because we yeah. were evangelists, and we, my sister and I never knew which home we were going to, mm -hmm. and so... It's almost like they would tell you, um, we'd ask, how long is it to get where we're going? And we didn't understand time, so they'd say, it's it's two Mr. Rogers shows. That's how long it's going to take. <laughs> and your parents were the pepper people, the you know, pepper like people. in our, I in our I stuff. It. So there's a little bit of a family connection yeah. there. And uh, that's so anyway, just some, some fair family, shared family stories. Um, but I think that's very appropriate because, in in many ways, the Nazarene Church is a big family. It is quite and a family. We yeah. we can so like it's like the family tree doesn't fork somehow because mm -hmm. you just know so many people. Yeah. Um, I can't tell you how many states I've been in, and you've been in different countries and everywhere. Probably everywhere you've been, you've had a connection to somebody somewhere else in those places. Yeah. So I think you have a unique perspective um, for a lot of reasons. How many years were you a, a senior pastor or, or in some sort of pastoral ministry uh, in churches before you went to the general superintendency job? I was a senior pastor for 28 years. Okay, 28 years. Yeah, I served as a district superintendent for five years Okay, between some of those pastors. Okay. I pastored for 18 years, was a district superintendent for five years. My dad, who was a pastor as well, mm -hmm. as you mentioned, yeah. uh, said I got back to God, and I went back in the ministry. Right. I went back to the pastor. <laughs> but uh, I was uh, there for 10 years at Kansas City First Church, so okay. a total of 28 years before I went to okay. 
Great. And then how Both. many years as a general superintendent? Then? Twelve years. Twelve years. Twelve okay. years. So my point in asking that is you've seen some changes through the years oh, in, in not only the world, but the Church of the Nazarene. Mm-hmm. And um, just a lot of things. It seems like in the last couple of decades, technology has changed just yeah. rapidly. And, and even even in my short time in ministry in the last 15, 20 years or so, um, I mean, things are just not the same. I'm, I mean, I my world went from, you know, having uh, the screen that you put the transparency slides on, you know, or <laughs> yes. some, sometimes actual slideshows, you know, right. to, when the yeah. missionary came to. Now we're in this world where um, we have more memory in our pockets than went to the moon, exactly. you know. And so it's, it's exactly. just technology has changed, but the church has changed in mm-hmm. many ways, and we could sit and, and complain and worry in a lot of ways uh, and that's what a lot of, of us do it seems like and it yeah. seems like we're in a, a, a season of um, presidential debates are going on and everybody is crying that the mm. sky is falling in one way or another yeah. and sometimes I just want to say look is Jesus Lord or not you know the yeah. idea yeah. like that we exactly. do have a lot of hope yeah. and I would love to talk to you and get your perspective on some things um in the Church of the Nazarene, maybe the church even broader in some way, maybe just yeah. even the world, because you're a follower of Jesus, you've been doing this for a while, and you've been a leader of leaders for a while. I would just love to hear some things from you that you have seen happen in the church that have really given you hope and are giving you hope. Good. Uh, I would love to hear that, and I think our listeners would love to hear that. You always have such a great perspective. So, Well, you know, I, th- I think that's an incredibly important question for us right now in the face of not just change, but in many ways, discontinuous change. Mm. It's not that what we have known is changing into something like what we knew. Mm-hmm. Many of the changes occurring now mm. are so much uh, different from what they were, mm-hmm. that it's like we're moving into a new country, yeah. a new era, and mm-hmm. uh, it's, it's tough. Yeah. When, when change is happening that fast and it's discontinuous change, mm-hmm. then it's tough for the church to adjust because the church, by its very nature, likes to protect long tradition. Mm-hmm. And sure. that's good, it's necessary, it's the way uh, orthodoxy is, is protected and understood. Sure. But when the the world around you is shifting, as fast as this world is shifting, mm-hmm. uh, we have to start thinking differently in many ways. Mm. And uh, yet in the midst of all that, I read a book uh, 10, 12 years ago, The Next Christendom by Philip Jenkins. Okay. And he began to talk about what he saw coming. And I was privileged in that 12 years to watch the fulfillment of what he was talking about. Mm. He talked about the church that had moved from the Middle East to Europe, Mm -hmm. from Europe to America, and you have this this sweep of the European church being a sending church, Mm -hmm. and then the U.S. church becoming the sending church. Mm -hmm. And for a century, maybe a century and a half, the U.S. church was dramatically engaged in mm-hmm. spreading the gospel both in the U.S. and around the world. Mm-hmm. Now today we're talking about the church moving uh, out of that Western or that, that move from the Middle East to mm-hmm. 
to Europe and then further west to mm -hmm. America. Now the church is beginning to move, has moved into the southern hemisphere, hmm. South America, Central America, uh, Africa, hmm. Southern Asia, where the rapid advance of Christianity is occurring at levels that are unprecedented, hmm. unprecedented in all of Christian history, unprecedented growth. Wow. When you look back at all that has occurred through the centuries in the expansion of Christianity, hmm. we've never had a time when more people were coming to Christ in the world than right now. Wow. So on that basis, that's I have a great hope. hope. <laughs> that is, that's a great hope. Now, in light of that, there's a tremendous amount of the movement of the church mm -hmm. from the South mm -hmm. to the North, to the Northern Hemisphere. And what is happening in the U.S. church right now is one of the sources of greatest vitality is the immigrant church. Mm -hmm. and we talk a lot about immigration, yeah. and there's a lot of fear about immigration. But in reality, much of the immigrant church, much, much of the influence of the immigration that has occurred in the last three yeah. decades has been the movement of many strong evangelical Christians hmm. into North America. Yeah. And uh, Philip Jenkins was saying that may well be the salvation of the church in America. Wow. And I, I see it happening. Yeah. I'm watching it. Yeah. The move from Africa. Mm -hmm. the, the church in Africa is developing so rapidly that in the Church of the Nazarene, as of right now, this year, maybe, maybe a little even last year, mm -hmm. the church in Africa is larger than the church in the U.S. for wow. the Church of the Nazarene. I, I believe it. I, I was very briefly there for about two and a half weeks, yeah. um, and I, I, didn't, I was not in deepest, darkest Africa. I was in Kenya so at the, doing some music and speaking at the Nazarene oh, University great. there. Yeah. And I could see it there. I mean, I could just see they, they planted a church um, while I was over there in the vicinity of the time I was over there. And it's now the largest church, I think, in Kenya, I think, mm -hmm. is what mm -hmm. I just heard today. Yeah. And I yeah. was like, in 10 years' time, you yeah. know? And right. Yeah. It's like they're going out under trees and planting churches, you know? It's just amazing. One of my favorite stories is one of our missionaries mm -hmm. taking one of my colleagues on a brief uh, motorcycle ride, hmm. and uh, the uh, the motorcycle ride, the, you know, the the two were riding in tandem on a, mm -hmm. a little motorcycle, and uh, the missionary was pointing out as they were driving along these trees, these large trees, mm -hmm. and the missionary was saying, "Now that's a church, and that's a church, <laughs> and that's a church," and my colleague said, "What What do you mean that's a church?" He yeah. said, "That's a church." Yeah. A church meets under that tree. They go there. And there's a church that meets under that tree. Mm. And there's a church that meets under that tree. It's not that they're trying to be separate from one another. It's just that they are growing so fast yeah. that they're just planting churches wherever people are gathering. Yeah. So it's exciting to see that. Yeah. And uh, for, from my perspective, while we decry, while we are in, almost in panic mode here in mm. the U.S. because things seem to be dying. Mm -hmm. Well, in reality, Christendom, Christianity, vibrant Christianity yeah. is growing rapidly yeah. around the world. Africa is likely at the present time the most Christian continent in the world. Wow. Hmm. And we used to sing about 
darkest Africa. Yeah, yeah. There are as many as 100 million, some say as many as 200 million Christians in China. Hmm. It is amazing what God is doing there. Mm. And it just continues to spread. Yeah. We talk about uh, our, our growth around the world and how Christianity moved from uh, the Middle East to Europe and continued to, to move west. Mm -hmm. China, the church in China, this, this dynamic church in China, you can't call it the church, you could call it the churches. Yeah. It is, is the way that it functions. Yeah. But they together are talking about what they call mm -hmm. going back to Jerusalem. Wow. Here's the church going west and west and west and west and west and getting to China, hmm. and China is taking it back to the Middle East. Wow. That is their objective, back to Jerusalem. Hmm. So here we are That's with Christianity working in such a way yeah. that some of the most dynamic work is going on. Yeah. And we are in such a position in the U.S. that we feel like, we feel like uh, Christianity is dying, mm -hmm. and the rest of the world is saying, where are these Christians coming from? They're yeah. everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> now, that, is a, that is such a great perspective, though. I didn't mean yeah. to cut you off. But, no, but... I, but we, we are very, and I'll, I'll admit myself, I'm very nearsighted because it's what I see and it's yeah, what I know. Right. It's what we and live. Yeah, it's where yeah. we are. Uh, but even that just gives me such, like, hope. It warms my heart to think yeah. about it, yeah, you know, it and to, to think that, like, yeah, Jesus is Lord, and it's... Very evident elsewhere. Yeah. Um, the light can't be dimmed, but there, there's different challenges we're facing here that we're coming through now. Um, but when you mentioned China, it just reminded me of a, a missionary came to our church a few years ago and was showing us some video of a, a secret house church yeah. and some yeah. translations that were there. And they were they were there all day, you know, mm -hmm. meeting together and very much in secret because it was illegal. And and they're all sharing out of the same barrel of you know, rice at yeah, mealtime, then yeah. they go back in. And the part that got me, as as we're looking at those conditions and going, oh, those poor people, they're putting the translations of the prayers they're praying, and they're praying for us. Exactly. And I, and yeah. I what it, a, it just takes your breath. Yeah, what yeah. a, it was almost like a shame on me moment, you mm -hmm. know, like yeah. to, for me, for me thinking, oh, you poor people, and what you're missing out on right now, and, yeah. and they're thinking for us, oh, what you're missing out what you, yeah, on. Yeah, what you don't know. Oh, what you, what don't, you don't know. know. Exactly. Yeah. So. Well, there's another place where I have a great deal of hope. And part of that is because I'm working now in my retirement uh, on a part-time basis at Nazarene Theological Seminary, mm. where I'm on campus with students. Nice. And I'm working with young pastors going into pastoral work. Mm -hmm. I'm uh, involved in some mentoring relationships by Skype and video and that kind of mm -hmm. thing, and it's I'm thoroughly enjoying it. That's great. And I have such hope for the future mm. because of the young men and women that I see who are coming into ministry passionate about the gospel, passionate about Christ, passionate about holy living, passionate about reaching the world for Christ. And I, I, again, I hear some people in my generation uh, weeping because the church isn't what it was. Mm -hmm. And frankly, I almost want to say to them at times, and thank God, <laughs> because what I see coming mm -hmm. is going to be a contemporary expression of the church. Mm. Uh, they're able to do things and see things and understand things that I will never see or mm. fully understand. Sure. But I've gotten to know their hearts. Yeah. 
and I'm saying, these are the pastors I will entrust my grandkids to. Yeah. I will entrust my grandkids That's great. to those pastors. And, and you know, tonight we heard a message from, from Dan Boone oh. just in, encouraging us to, to be thinking in new ways about church. Yeah. And this morning I had breakfast uh, with a, a guy that was, he, he's a little younger than me. He was a teen on the district when I was doing like music for teen camps and stuff here. And yeah. his name's John DeMuth. And um, he works for um, Good Shepherd Church in Indianapolis. Mm-hmm. And they have that great ministry that... Uh, their their theme is, I, I think, John, I hope I'm not misrepresenting you. I think the, the theme you told me was breaking the cycle of poverty is, yes. is yeah, what it was. Right. Yeah, that's it. And um, they've got this incredible ministry. It's such a uh, imaginative way of thinking of the church, mm-hmm. not so much of in the walls of the church, but they have a community garden area where they invite yeah. the community to come yeah. in. Yeah. Um, they've they've got all these programs, like he's working with the youth specifically in there, but there's so many things that they're doing. Um, he was telling me about like at Christmas time, uh, they have a, a sort of a free store or an open store. Where people come in, they pay five dollars, and they come in and get gifts, you know, for their oh, kids and things. Word. And they said one year they came in and they could tell the parents were feeling ashamed as the kids were picking out their presents that they came in that that they weren't able to, you know, like mm-hmm. give it to them themselves. Mm-hmm. And so the next year. They said, this this time, parents, you come, bring $5 and get whatever you want for your kids, and you put your name on it and tell them they're from you, or, you know, like, and the kids That's aren't allowed terrific. to come, you know, yeah. and, and you can give it to them and let them know it's there, and you don't even have to thank us. We just want to be a part of helping you with that. And I just thought, those are just some, the imagination that's going into that. And it doesn't even seem that difficult, but it's yeah. just something that we haven't thought of church in that way, you no. know. And well, that's so surprisingly New Testament to me. It is. It yeah. really you know, is, that's, yeah. That's refreshing. And so it was It was a great breakfast as I was talking, that's and great. I just thought, man, I got I to gotta think about this, or um, ways that they're rethinking, like, you know, a a church is really like coming together in a coffee house. Like mm-hmm. you talked about under a tree in Africa. Right. A lot of times it's, it's a, a much more informal setting, but it's a, it's a place where the discussion can begin and the community can start to be built in ways. So yeah. I, that, that's another area of hope that I see, you know, just as, yeah. as you're yeah. talking and, and thinking about John, who's a young guy that's, that's uh, just a part of something that's really cool. Yeah. that I, I really like and, and And I think we're going to need a lot of, things like that in the denomination and well we really are and I you know I have a I'm a son of a pastor mm-hmm. and I have a son who's a pastor mm-hmm. and I've watched uh, his development and the development of the church he pastors getting involved in the community they built a community center huge gym and other facilities built with it just for the community mm and are utilizing it seven days a week as outreach to the community, wow. doing some of the same kinds of things you sure. were describing with food, clothing. Uh, yeah. They have after-school programs. Mm-hmm. They have English as a second-language second programs for wow. the parents. Yeah. The children who are in school and learning English, and the parents don't know English. Oh, wow. So they're teaching English as a second language to parents. Yeah. Uh, they're they're uh, doing a lot of the kind of justice work that needs to be done in minority communities because right across their parking lot, just across the parking lot, is a a large apartment of uh, Section 8 housing. Mm. And so 
the teenagers in this church for the last three years, every Saturday of the year, whatever the weather, go to the parking lot with grills and hot dogs Mm. and buns and all the dressing, and they just give away hot dogs to Mm. everybody who comes by from this apartment, knowing it all started because some of the kids were in school and had the free meals during the week, had nothing on the weekends Mm. or very little. Food insecurity is a big issue in that complex. So the church has been doing that, and the teenagers are the ones who do that and have a large turnout of volunteers every Saturday. It's amazing. That's the church that I have such hope for, getting into the community and making a difference where they are. And, And yeah, and that's just a beautiful way of, like, again, we took the idea that takes the idea of, you know, it used to be churches. We just got to get a family life center, you know. If we have a gym, they'll come, you yeah, know. And the right. I, it, and it's almost that idea, but taking it and going, yeah, we can build a facility, but let's see what we could really do with it. Yeah, it's you not know? ours. It's not ours. It's not ours. What it's can for we them. do to serve people yeah, with this? Yeah. And that's that's just, uh, when we think about our our servant Messiah who leads by serving. Oh, my um, word, yes. <laughs> it, it should be in front of our face. It, it ought it? to be. It'd be like, yeah, exactly. like duh. <laughs> yeah. Um, but that's, that's great. Well, that's the say. hope I have for the church mm-hmm. because I'm seeing a lot of places. And, and I ought to say, it's not always just the young mm-hmm. who are doing it. I, I see some, some older and middle-aged pastors doing the same kinds mm-hmm. of things. Church is beginning to realize You've got to be involved in your community or you will be irrelevant mm. to the community. Yeah. And so partnering with schools, elementary schools, uh, backpacks, one of the things that this church in Oklahoma City is doing every year, they pack backpacks to start school and give them to the kids in the community mm. with all of their school supplies yeah. supplied in the backpacks. That's fantastic. And it's just amazing to see the response. Now. People are beginning to trickle in. It's not a flood, yeah. but it's a trickle. Yeah. Families from the community now beginning to trickle in. Yeah. And uh, they had their children's musical, uh, I think the week before Easter. And the musical had as many children from outside the church as were inside the church, mm. the church, church families. Yeah. There were community families that were singing in the musical. Yeah. Well, the result was a huge attendance yeah. from community families who came in to see their kids in this musical. Yeah. And they said it was just amazing. Mm. They were telling the story of Jesus. Wow. And the kids got caught up in it. That that reminds me, you know, one of my one of my best friends, he's actually our, our children's pastor at my church, it's her husband, uh, Brandon Sipes, who is now working mm-hmm. for Nazarene Compassionate Ministries. Yeah. Um, he was a bus kid. You know oh, that, that yeah. was that was brought in and and uh, they just loved him. You know, and yeah. and yeah. he didn't have a church background, didn't have a family that was going to church. Um, and I, I think about the influence he's having today yeah. and and what he's doing. And I'm I'm thinking like, I hear stories like that. I'm like, you never know. I mean what God may be raising up yeah. in the midst of of these families, and even and even just the idea. I think I like what I'm hearing and. In that we want to hold Jesus out as the hope of the world, but we don't want to just love people only to get something from them. Right. We just want to love people because God just loves people, you know? <laughs> That's exactly and, the point. Yeah. And when we talk about, in our theology, we talk about perfect love. Mm-hmm. 
perfect love isn't love that expects to get something in return. Sure. It's giving. Mm. It is suffering love. It is self-giving love. Mm. And if we do it in order to have the right to present the gospel, I think we've missed the point. Yeah. If we get the chance to present the gospel, take it. Yeah. But that's not the point. The point is love. Right. The point is meeting the need. If we meet the need, they get hungry for yeah. what caused us to meet that need. And I heard a a really wonderful quote. It reminds me of what we're talking about. Um, I was listening to Richard Rohrer, who has mm, mm-hmm. really got some profound things to yeah. say. And he was kind of just talking about, um, off the top of his head, some sayings of St. John of the Cross. Yeah. And um, what was the, let me think if I can get the saying. He said, that, this was his interpretation of what St. John of the Cross said. God cannot be known God can only be loved, but that love becomes its own way of knowing. I love that. And I thought... Absolutely. Exactly what you're saying. God cannot be known. God can only be loved, for God is love, but that love becomes the way of knowing. Yeah. And and I... Yeah, that's that's really good. That's good theology. (laughs) Well, it it is good theology. And it sounds, again, suspiciously like the 17th chapter of the Gospel of John. Yes. (laughs) For sure. So, well, we could probably go on for a while, but, you know, we've been doing this for about a half hour, and I don't oh want to take word. all your time tonight. Um, but, man, this has been really rich, and um, I really appreciate you taking some time to be here. Glad to do it. And um, uh, two quick things. If you could tell real fast, you told me a, a cool story um, about uh, a hymn. that Now, because everybody that listens to this podcast knows I'm a musician and mm-hmm. I like music, yeah. you were telling me, uh, a, a specific thing about a hymn that Ken Bible wrote that right. uh, involves you, and I, I don't want to give away the, the end of the story, but would you mind telling real quick about Because it's kind of a cool yeah. honor. Well, Ken Bible is a prolific and profound writer of hymns. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, we in our local church sing many of Ken Bible hymns because Ken's a member of our church. I was okay. his pastor for 10 years. Okay, So I've had this great relationship with him. He writes a daily blog that I just, that's part of my devotional life is to read his daily blog. Sure. Amazing thinker, amazing writer, amazing hymnist. Mm-hmm. So I've, I've loved working with him and uh, we've, we've had a good relationship. We've worked on several things together. Got a note from him two weeks ago that probably stirred me as deeply as anything I've received in a long time. Mm-hmm. He sent me a copy of a text of a hymn he'd just written. Oh, beautiful. The text was just amazing. Mm. Christ in you and Christ in me. It was mm-hmm. just just a beautiful text. And then he, he wrote in the note, as you know, as you look at, uh, if you look in a hymnal, at the bottom of the page in the hymnal under the hymn is the name of the author of the hymn. Mm-hmm. And then on the other side of the page is often the name of the hymn, of the tune, mm-hmm. that the tune right. itself is given a name. Mm-hmm. And he said, uh, I've I, I reworked a, a tune, a, a secular tune that is several uh, you know, decades, maybe hundreds of years old. Mm-hmm. And he said, I reworked it for this hymn. And I thought so much of you and your emphasis in your ministry about Christ in you. Mm-hmm that I, I thought this was just the perfect uh, musical uh, line, the tune for this hymn. Mm-hmm. 
And I thought I would name the tune Middendorf. Yeah. <laughs> and he said, I just wanted you to know. I, I, I can't tell great? you what it did for me. I, I mean, it just, it stirred me to the core. That's fantastic. And uh, I will cherish that. In fact, my wife is having it mounted on a frame for me. I'll That's really special. Yeah, and it's someone that, you know, you can open up the, the hymnal and see the hymns in there that he's yeah, written. Yeah. It, that, that's just, that's awesome. I mean, what a cool thing to have that. How many of us can say we have a, a hymn tune named after us? Yeah, well, <laughs> that's I, really, I mean, it's a first for me. <laughs> and, you know, Middendorf, I'm not quite sure how that fits with the, 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 the musical genres you've heard of well, in the past. But. <laughs> there you go. But, yeah, well, that's a great story, and, and um, I appreciate you sharing it with us. And I just want to close by saying um, I just want to thank you because over the years um, I, I've, I've admired you as sort of a mentor from afar mm -hmm. and I have really appreciated there's been times that I've been maybe at a retreat or a district assembly or whatever and there's just been moments where God has used you and words that you brought sometimes even just you have such a gentle way of even just like coming up and saying hello and just sometimes I'm surprised like how did you even remember me it's been so you know so long yeah. you're so sharp usually and it's just a matter of um I just see Christ in you and I just want to I want to thank you for um the way you've allowed God to use you over right. the years okay. and there was a very I, I think it will be in my mind until I start losing my memory um, one day. I, I don't ever want to say anymore, I'll never forget, because it does run in my family. That yeah, yeah. Forgetting. Uh, oh, my. Yeah. But um, when I think about this retreat, years ago, I was, you know, fairly wet behind the mm -hmm. ears in North Carolina, and you were speaking at a pastor's retreat there. And uh, you started referencing people that, that I was reading, like Brennan Manning and Thomas Merton and people like yeah. that in your, your message. And I knew nobody else in the room had been reading, and I, and I was like, "Oh, a kindred spirit!" I, you know, thank you. But <laughs> but I was actually going through some really tough things ministry-wise, and I remember that retreat being. It was one of those moments, like if if I hadn't, um, I'm trying not to get teary. I get teary sometimes, but yeah. if I hadn't heard the words you brought that week, I'm not sure I would have stuck it out any longer. You know, and, well, that's and, interesting because since that week. We somehow we clicked. Yeah, because since that week, I've followed your ministry with great interest. Mm -hmm. I followed you on Facebook. I've followed the music. Uh, you know, the the uh, the song you sang this morning in the service mm -hmm. to me was a hymn. Mm -hmm. It was it was just profound. Mm -hmm. Thank you. And I just sat there this morning thinking, I'm so glad you are doing what you're doing. <laughs> I really mean that. Well, thank so you. So it's a. It's a treasure to me to see your ministry at work and well, accomplishing what you're doing. Thank you. Well, I really appreciate that, and, and it's for sure mutual. Well, thank you for taking time, and, and I know you've got lots going on, but thank you for just sitting down for a little while and talking. Oh, it's it's uh, given me hope as always. And as I always say to my guests on this show, thank you for being one of the voices in my head this week. Uh -huh. so. Thank you for joining me here this week on the Voices in My Head podcast. I hope you'll visit me on my website at rickleyjames.com, follow me on Twitter at rickleyjames, like my artist page on Facebook at facebook.com slash rickleyjames, and keep up to date on what I'm writing at my author page on amazon.com. Make sure to follow my calendar on the website, and if you would like to have me come to your town to do a concert, a speaking engagement, or a book event, you can book me through my website by clicking on the link for Pair Booking Agency. That's P-A-R-E Booking. 
And finally, it would mean the world to me if you were to leave me a review of this podcast on iTunes. The more positive reviews that we receive, the more visible this podcast is on the internet. And now the benediction. May the God of peace, who raised Christ from the dead, strengthen your inner being for every good work. And may the blessing of God Almighty, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, rest upon you and dwell within you this day and forevermore. Amen.